in 2000, I, uh, I graduated from college. Uh, my wife and I did. We were engaged at the time. We graduated from college, and I moved to Colorado Springs to become a youth pastor at a church there. And um, it started me on a really incredible and really fun journey of learning what it means to be in full-time ministry. I went to school for that. I got a degree in theology and, and kind of launched out and got married that summer, and it was the best summer of my life. In fact, I think here's a picture of me. I think, uh, yeah, buddy. It's me in one of our youth meetings. Um, please reserve your comments. Somebody else... Somebody else needs some bondage breakers, apparently. Um, but uh, it started us on a really fun journey of favor and connecting with teens and seeing teens find freedom and grow and give their lives to Jesus and go and impact their schools and start prayer groups on their campus and just a really fruitful and wonderful time of ministry as, as the youth group grew and as um, I grew and as the church grew. And then in 2006, we experienced something Oh, no, before that, actually, uh, we had our first kid there in 2006, and it was awesome. I want you to show you that. Yeah. That's Aurora right there. And um, can you find me? <laughs> uh, just kidding. I'm on the left and um, looking smooth. And uh, Maria, she doesn't change. Like, she just doesn't change. She's the exact same person today. I have undergone a few changes so far. You should not comment. Um, and so had our first daughter there and started ministry. And shortly after this time, actually, our church went through a bit of a scandal. The senior pastor did some things that he shouldn't have done. It became a nationwide and really a global uh, event for a little while. We would show up to, to church on a Sunday or during the work week. And as we showed up there, there was uh, CNN, satellite trucks, and Fox News, and pretty much any media outlet that you could imagine. They were camped out in our parking lot trying to talk to us and uncover more of the story. It was a very difficult time. He was removed, and we continued on with that bunch of kids and trying to figure out how to pastor a church through all of that insanity. We chose a new pastor, and so he was instated, and he started the church on a new trajectory in 2007. Uh, and then in 2007, at the end of that year, as many of you know this, but then we had a shooting on our campus, obviously becoming more and more frequent today, and we've got to do something about that. But... But we had a shooting on our campus, and uh, two young girls lost their lives that day. And I'll never forget that moment, standing, being in, a, in, the, in the little youth building that we were in, and we heard shots fired out in the parking lot. And I grabbed my daughter, Aurora, and my son, Ewan, was a baby, and he was in the little basket, and, and we just ran. We ran for cover and ran upstairs, and we hid out and hunkered down. And my friend Jared Newman and I, we were doing everything that we could to just think about how do we protect our family if something happens here and there were some little paint cans on shelves and we grabbed paint cans and we were standing up over the ledge of the the stage ready to throw paint cans do anything that we could do to try to defend ourselves and our families as aurora was just crying because she didn't understand what was happening and i was thinking if she's not quiet somebody's going to know that we're here Really a terrible circumstance. The police barged in with M16s and shotguns, and there was haze in the room left over from our junior high meeting, and so they were like, why is there smoke in here? Why is there smoke in here? And I was standing over the ledge saying, it's a junior high meeting! It's a junior high meeting! You have to laugh, because that's all you can do. And they took us and put us in a room and kept us safe, and, and we continued on. And we walked that church through all that difficulty, and and everything kind of settled down, and the pastor did a good job, and, and we continue to pastor. I'll tell you this, it's really difficult to pastor a church and a youth group 
at a church where there was a scandal from the senior pastor and a shooting, parents aren't like, yeah, go to that church. That's, that's hard. That's, that's a challenge. But we, went, we walked through it. And let me tell you, Jesus was faithful. That church is alive and well and strong today. That church actually launched us out to plant one chapel, sent us with money and finances and resources, like people. I mean, it was great. That church is doing really well. You should know that. And then, and then uh, let's see, 2008, I'd been there for seven or eight years now. And so the pastoral team made a decision to give a sabbatical, six-week sabbatical, to any pastor that had been there for seven weeks or more. Sorry, seven weeks. Ooh, that's a good church. I want to work for that church. You know what I'm saying? Um, for seven years or more. And, um, and so I got my first sabbatical. And I, Maria and I, we went away uh, for a little while, for six weeks. We totally unplugged, took our hands off of everything, weren't allowed to call in, weren't allowed to find out how things were going. We just had to go and hang out. We went to Hawaii for a week and wore cool shades. And, um, and hair is improving slowly. And, <laughs> and right now you can't see, but Maria is currently pregnant with Reese. Uh, and she was on the trip. She was pregnant. And so pregnant with Reese. So Reese is really one of our, the only one of our kids that gets to brag about, I've been to Hawaii, you guys haven't. So, um, although the view was obstructed. And we had a great time. And, um, and what happened to me is that Jesus transformed me. Like Jesus, in that first week, he did a major thing in my heart. Jesus, he, he went straight to the root of one of my big issues, which was my own identity. Because my identity was wrapped up in the performance of how I was doing as a pastor. How is the student ministry doing? If it's doing well, I'm amazing. I'm a great Christian, I'm a good father, I'm doing a great job, everything is good. The numbers, as you could imagine, they slid for a while because of the circumstances that we had been through. And so if they're going down, if there's a problem, if things aren't happening well, then I'm terrible. I'm a, grad, I'm a bad Christian. Jesus doesn't like me. He's far away from me. I'm doing terrible. I'm failing in my Christianity. I'm failing as a pastor. I'm failing in my life. That's what I thought. And Jesus, in that first week, he reached right into my heart, and he ripped that identity out of me. It was weird. It was like a, just a supernatural experience, and I knew he was doing it that week and saying, son, you're my son, and that's enough. You don't need to do anything else, and he pulled that thing out of me, said, your performance doesn't matter. It doesn't please me that much. I, I've seen a lot more important things and a lot cooler things than you. But I love working with you. And he pulled it out and he said, you're my son. And, and in fact, when I finished that sabbatical, we had done a big event. We planned for a big event when I had returned in January to kind of relaunch the student ministry. And I stood in a room full. There was about 1,200 teenagers in the room. And I stood there at the head of that meeting. And you know what? I didn't care. Not that I didn't care what was happening. I was thankful for everything that was going on. But I didn't care because this was no longer who I was. I was a son of God. I didn't have to perform for him. He loved me, and that was enough. And he performed a mighty and incredible miracle in me. And then, and then he did another thing where I saw my family. I've got a picture of them. It's not a great picture, but I'll explain in a minute. He made me see my family. We were busy at that church. We worked hard. We ran fast. We did everything that we could to produce and, and to grow the kingdom and, and do all these things. We performed a lot, as you can tell. And that meant I didn't see my family as much. I was busy doing the work of the ministry. So I didn't see my wife as much as I should have. She wasn't as a, much of a priority as she should have been. My kids, my two young kids, and another one on the way, they were not as much of a priority as they should have been because I was doing the work. 
And the other thing that God did in me was he made me see my family again. I saw them. I saw my wife. I saw my kids. And I'm telling you, I can never go back to the way that I was. Frankly, it makes me not as good of a pastor because I'm always going to choose my family and my children. I think God's called me to them first. So, so I saw them again. And this, the reason this picture is so special to me is because we're just in Walmart in, in, uh, in Colorado Springs walking around um, going to buy some stuff. That's Aurora. That's Ewan. And, and I just I saw them. They were with me. And I was, this, is, this is the greatest thing. And this is my highest calling and this picture, because I remember at this moment, it's when I saw it. It's when I was like, oh, this, this is so important to me. And it changed everything for me. That's why I love this picture so much. It's a bad picture, but it means everything to me. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because, uh, as most of you know, I'm about to go on another six-week sabbatical. It's been about 10 years, and we've planted this church, and everything has gone extremely well. And, and Pastor Ross and the pastoral staff has given us the blessing of being able to take six weeks to rest and recuperate. And I just want to tell you something. I'm fine. I'm healthy. There's no problems. Church is doing well. Um, I, I, I feel great. Uh, my marriage is great. My kids are great. We're doing extremely well. Ross said it the best when he was here a couple weeks ago. He said, this is solely out of love. And I want you to know that this is a proactive step so that pastors at one chapel can do ministry for the long haul and keep going. And uh, so that's what I plan on doing. And uh, that's why this is not reactive by any stretch of the imagination. So that's why this is happening. But on this last Sunday before we leave, I just have a few minutes to close out this series in Romans. Because people were doing it today. Romans chapter 16. It's happening right now. This is about to go down. And we're going to finish it. And it's really interesting to me because as Paul is wrapping up this letter, he's kind of giving his final words to everybody. And I'm kind of doing the same thing. Though they're not my final words, I'm coming back. But, but I want to give you just a few things for you to think about. These are kind of like, as Paul is saying it to the Romans, I'm saying it to you as, as the things that I hope that you will do over these next several weeks as you continue to be the church together. So Paul, in this chapter, he's just like saying hi to a bunch of people. Like, it's weird. It's almost like Paul's Oscar acceptance speech. Like, he's just, he's just saying, hey, thanks to everybody. I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd like to thank Kanye and Taylor Swift and whatever. He's just going through the, he's going through the motions and, and saying hi to a bunch of people. So when you look at this chapter 16, you kind of think, why should I do it? I could just skip over it. It seems a little boring. However, there is some stuff in here that I think is really important, as always with all Scripture, because all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for rebuking and training in righteousness and teaching. It's useful for all of those things. So we're going to dig into it just a little bit together. You can divide chapter 16 into four sections. First is Paul's commendation. Second is Paul's cordiality. Third is Paul's caution. And the fourth is Paul's conclusion. Now, they're all C's. So as a pastor, you know it's going to be good. Because pastors love alliteration, so it's going to be good. You don't know what I'm talking about. God bless you. These are things that I'm praying that we'll do as a church family. Let's start with Paul's commendation. Um, and what he's saying here, I think, he's saying to the church in Rome, I want you to commend one another. And what I'm saying to you, one Chapel Kyle, is I want you to commend one another. Romans 16, 1 through 2, it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. This is awesome because Paul is bragging on this woman named Phoebe. Now, obviously, she's a woman. He said, our sister, Phoebe. We know that she's named after a character on the hit TV show, Friends. 
She's actually named after a Greek goddess, which probably means that she was a Gentile who became a Christian. And she was from Sincrea, a little village about nine miles south of Corinth. And she was the one who actually hand-delivered this letter from Paul to the Romans. Now, what we know about her was that she was a leader within the church. In verse 1, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea. That word servant right there that he used in the original language, it's diakonos, which, which is where we get the word deacon. Deacon. So Phoebe was this deaconess in the church in Sincrea. Now, there's some debate about what that position really held or what it really looked like, but there's no doubt that this was a woman in leadership at the church. Now, listen to what Paul says that they should do with Phoebe and her ministry, and it's important because Paul sometimes gets a bad rap for women in ministry, yeah? But listen to what he says about Phoebe. He, this, he says, I commend to you, Phoebe, and then he says, I ask you to receive her. Now, that word commend in the Greek, it means to approve, to recognize, to recommend. And the word receive in Greek, it means to accept or to, to allow. What Paul is saying to the church in Rome is, I want you to accept her. I want you to, uh, to allow her to minister to you. I recommend her to you. Don't belittle her. Don't look down on her because she's a woman. Don't do any of those things. And this is a pretty important point for us today. Paul is saying, accept her. Accept her. For some people, there is this thinking that women can't lead or can't minister, and it's simply not true. Here, Paul is specifically endorsing the ministry of this woman. And then the second thing he says to them is, I want you to affirm her. In verse 2, he says, give her any help she may need from you. They weren't just to accept her ministry, but they were also to come alongside and to help her and to assist her. And that's what all of us need to do as well. Not only do we need to accept each other's ministries, but we also need to affirm them, support them in any way that we can, believe in them, spur them onward, whether they're male or female. It's what's happening here. Frank Salazar is, is launching out this uh, Bondage Breakers group ministry in One Chapel Kyle. He's doing it with his wife. He's doing it with Joel Viegas, my friend Joel right over there. They're launching this thing together. And you know what I'm doing? I'm saying, man, I love you guys. I approve you. I affirm you. Let's go do this because I see Jesus in you, and I know he wants to use you. And I know that I'm not the one who brings the ministry to the church. It's all of you. And so I'm affirming them. Paul also says, I want you to appreciate her. Verse 2 says, she's been a great help to many people, including me. That word help, it's the same word that Paul uses for leadership in Romans 12. Romans 12, 6, he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, that's the word there, let him govern diligently. That word for the gift of leadership that Paul uses in Romans 12, it's the same word that he uses when he says, Phoebe's been a helper to me. Phoebe has this gift of leadership. She has this gift of leadership, and Paul is saying, hey, everybody, I've been ministered to by this woman, and I so appreciate who she is and what she does, and I want you to appreciate her too. So lesson from just these first two verses is as Paul is saying, hey, bye. Paul is saying we need to accept the ministry of women. We need to affirm the ministry of women, and we need to appreciate the ministry of women. So ladies... Around here, we want you to know that this is what we think. 
And if you know what, in fact, if you are, if you're a woman and you, you today, you're in any sort of ministry, you're in ministry here at the church or outside of the church, you're serving on team one and kids and greeters and coffee and set up anywhere across the team. If you're serving in ministry as a woman, would you please do us all a favor and just stand really quick? If you have a role in leadership as a woman, stand up really quick. We just want to recognize you and say, we affirm you. We believe in you. Come on, everybody. Let's give these women a hand. We love you. We affirm you. We appreciate you. We believe in you. Now, stay standing for just a second. I know you hate it. You're good. I shudder to think of what the church would be like if we didn't have this. I don't want to be in a church like that. Thank you so much. You can sit down. We sure appreciate you. Yeah, that's good. So everybody, my sabbatical prayer here is that you would live this way, male or female, that over these next six weeks and beyond, that you would affirm one another that you would accept one another's ministry, that you would spur one another on in ministry, that you would appreciate one another, that some of you, you need to lead a supper for six group for the first time, and you're like, I don't think I can do it. It's just having dinner. It's not that hard. You need to go to the website today and just sign up. And we want to affirm you and say, you can do it, man, and we're going to help you. Some of us, you know what, actually right now, every season, every change of season, there's a little bit of a shift in our teams, and we need some help on teams right now. We've got some changes of lives for some incredible people that are running lights. They're not going to be with us for a month or two. We need some people to run lights on a Sunday morning because everybody needs to see all of this. <laughs> we, need to make a, we need to make this place usable. We need to make it a space, take this sacred, sacred place, <laughs> the secular place, and make it a sacred space for us to meet in on a Sunday morning. Those guys do an incredible job, so maybe that's you. I need two people to help us run lights. We need you to do it. Just take out that card that's in your cup holder, says Team One. Fill it out and say, put me in, coach. I'll do it. We need people on the setup and teardown team because we do church in a movie theater. And we need some people to do that. We need probably four or six people to just join us. I can do that. I can schlep a case. I can do that. I can push stuff around. I can tear stuff down. Maybe that's you. Take that card out today. Fill it out. Drop it in the offering after the service. We are looking for some people, and we're affirming because it's not just that we need you. Let me tell you the truth. You need it. You need to be plugged in, and teams are the primary and quickest way that you can just get, get connected and start knowing people. Thanks, Johnny. appreciate you. You're on a team. We've got to move a little quicker. Then we move to Paul's cordiality, and this is the thing that I want to say to you. As Paul's wrapping up, I'm saying it to you, too. I want you to be cordial. Be cordial. In Romans 16, 3 through 16, and then 21 through 23, Paul goes through a massive list, and he's just naming off people. If you're having a child soon and you're looking for some names, man, this is gold right here. Andronicus and Unius. I mean, there are some good names in there. My favorite is probably Philologus, but whatever. Just, he's just saying hey to all these people, and why is that important? A couple things really stand out to me. First is that, once again, Paul highlights a number of women. And it's interesting because you'd be hard-pressed to find lit other literature at this time that would speak so highly of women. Andronicus and Eunius, there, there were a couple. Eunius was a woman, and Paul mentions her in here, and he says, they are outstanding among the apostles. This woman, an apostle, outstanding among them, and they were in Christ even before I was. 
It's an incredible statement that he's making. And listen, everybody, we're right in the middle of all of this stuff that's happening today. We're right smack dab in the middle of the Me Too movement. We're right smack dab in the middle of uh, this, this fight about equality and pay for women. And I, I believe in all of that. And I'm thankful that women are finding a voice in our culture. There are good things that are happening. But you know what? I think that we as the church should lead the way in making sure that we elevate the voices of women. Why? Because Jesus did it first. Paul did it first. <laughs> also, Paul, I just love it because he knew all these people. Paul knew all these people that he was talking about. He was connected to them. He knew them by name, which says to me, Paul was a people person. He was plugged into people. He didn't just walk into a church and say, well, looks good around here, and then leave. He was involved in the lifeblood of the church and people. He knew their names. He was connected. That's what we have to do here. You know, we have name tags out in the lobby when people come in. And I know a bunch of you, you wear them, and you're good little Christians. I'm never a good little Christian because I always forget, and I just never put one on. And some people, we, we know, we knew that we were running the risk of looking like a business conference, and everybody's coming in and wearing name tags and looking official. But, but we decided early in the life of the church that we were going to do it as just a step, a way to remove the first obstacle for people. So you don't have to come in and say, oh, hey, what's your name? Mom? Some people don't know how to do that. But it's different when you can walk in and say, hey, Bill, how did you know? Well, it's something I'm tired about it. And you just remove that first thing. Why do we have lame name tags at one chapel? Because we believe in knowing one another's names and living life together. Your church family has to be a place where you can be yourself where you can be known. Instead, far too many of us, we show up on a Sunday with masks on, and we carry those masks with us, and people say, hey, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm good, brother. Bless God. Glory be to Jesus. And then you leave, and you go and get in the car, and then, and then Monday comes, and you're hanging with your friend, and the mask just comes off. Stupid kids. Miserable existence. Lame boss. Like, it's okay for you to bring all your stuff Please, while I'm gone, this is my sabbatical prayer. Would you take your masks off? Let's be a church where people can take the masks off. Where people can really be known and be honest about who they are and about what they're going through. Where people can be known. Where people can know others. Where we can actually walk together. Supper for, Supper's for Six is starting next Sunday. Man, would you please just go and just, it's for something that's going to be hard. You're going to have to try to pry that thing off your face because it's been on there for far too long, but, but sit down to dinner with some people for a few weeks over the summer and remove that thing. Watch what Jesus does in your heart as it happens. Third thing Paul says is, I want you to take caution. I want you to take caution. Romans 16, 17 through 20, he talks about all this. He says, I urge you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions. Think of all the things that Paul could have ended Romans with, all these heavy doctrinal statements, all these major issues that we talk about, and instead his final parting instruction was promote unity in the church. Don't allow dissension. Don't be a part of backbiting, like we said last week, aim at harmony. Stay away from people who cause division. Don't listen to complaints and division. Just don't, don't be a part of that. Why? Because Jesus loves the bride. I know people got issues with church. People say, man, church would be awesome if it wasn't for all the people. 
that's who we are. Jesus chose us, and we're messy and imperfect, and we don't do things right all the time, and we hurt and wound one another. But when that happens, you can't say, well, I don't like the church. Don't be mad at the bride just because we're idiots sometimes, me included. Jesus loves the church. He's coming back for the bride. This is his chosen way of reaching the world. Don't be one that pushes against it. Join the church. Let's help make her more beautiful. Our critiques don't make her more beautiful. Our divisive speech doesn't make her more beautiful. Us digging in and saying, I am her, and so I'm going to make sure that she's beautiful. Hmm, very interesting here. When you consider all the things that Paul could have said to end this book, Paul's closing encouragement to the Romans is maintain unity. And I think that's important. My sabbatical prayer for you is that you would promote unity. That I would come back after six weeks with my family, changed and rested and rejuvenated with Jesus working me, and Jesus would have been working in you and working in us. Don't allow the enemy to push back. Don't allow the enemy to get in your mind. Don't allow the enemy to stir up things. If something happens and when the pastor leaves, the enemy tries to push. It's weird. Pray against it. Push back on it. I'm already praying for you and you're going to have a great six weeks. But man, don't allow the enemy a foothold. Just say, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I am taking caution. I'm going to promote unity. I'm going to be loved. I'm going to love people. If I have something divisive, I'm just going to talk to somebody about it. I'm going to talk to somebody in the church staff about it and we're going to take care of it. Why? Because that's what we do. That's what normal people and healthy families do. <laughs> That's really quiet in here. Um, and then finally, Paul ends with the conclusion. I, this is our conclusion today. Romans 16, 25, he says, Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. What's the mystery? The mystery is that the Jews and Gentiles are now one in Christ and the church. There's no more division. The church is beautiful. Romans 16, 26, he says, But now... Revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. Here it is. So that all nations might believe and obey him. We have a mission. That all nations might believe and obey him. This is the great purpose of the church. Capital C Church. And it is the great purpose of our church. One Chapel, Kyle. God leaves us here on this earth to partner with him so we can share with others. Why? Because God wants everybody in his family. Everybody is welcome. Everybody has a seat at the table. My sabbatical prayer for us, not just for six weeks, but far beyond, is that we would live up to that calling. That over the course of the next six weeks, I come back and, and a bunch of you, you've got friends sitting by you who just came to Christ because of your invitation and your friendship. And so some of these empty spaces, we went to two services last year to make room for more people, and that's all going great. But now some of these start to fill up. Why? Because you, the church, are fulfilling the mission of what we're called to do. And then it ends in Romans 16, 27. He says, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And everybody, that's the book of Romans. <laughs>